All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Decode. I'm joined by my co-host, Young Gumpin. Hello. And we have special guest, Hala Hunt Hendricks from Liturgy. For those of you who don't know Liturgy, Liturgy is a uh, how would how would I how would I describe it? A metal band based in in Brooklyn. Do you, is that do you still use the term transcendental black metal to sort of describe your music? Yeah, transcendental black metal. Yeah, I guess I don't really like say that a lot, but um, yeah, I ha- I haven't recant- recanted that thing. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So we're here to discuss um, quite a bit of that, and um, you know, there is a lot, there's a lot of media out there. Or a lot of I, I should say um, a lot of yeah a lot of media out there in regards to your um, more theoretical. Um, projects in terms of how your music interweaves with your philosophy and your theology. So we're excited to kind of dive into all aspects of your your corpus, so to speak. Absolutely. Kind of off of that, I mean, we were speaking a little bit before this started, but how much do you, do you think there's like a uh, a difference between people who kind of look to you for like that theory-oriented content versus uh the music or do you find that that's often kind of going hand in hand someone finds the music finds the kind of theory stuff too um yeah i mean it's definitely a mix i um it's definitely more and more common for people to come to liturgy through the theory stuff um Mm -hmm. it, it used to never be that way like it used to always be always be the music, um, but uh, I mean, I'm really into them being uh, connected in that way. You know, it's not it's not like just kind of happening to do music over here and then also happening to do theory over there. Like, like, like I really like the idea of kind of um, having them resonate with each other, you know, and kind of uh, have that be uh, autopoiesis kind of where, right. where uh, uh, you can go from one to the other. Or, yeah. Yeah, we but just... Like, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, just to kind of add to that. Um, in terms of that, do you then see your project as kind of like a, there's not so much a straight line or distinction between your philosophy and your musical project? It's more of like a... Uh, I think you use this term a lot, like a transitional transitional what's it called uh like a phase transition between the the projects yeah i mean there's like layers you know because because like it's like the theory involves a theory of music and a theory of like what the project is you know like like so it's called perichoresis and like the Mm -hmm. idea is that it is a sort of trinitarian uh like self-organizing uh entity you know that's like has a musical aspect an art aspect and a philosophy aspect and like instead of um uh instead of hoping to kind of place those activities in the institutional silos that they might naturally go like academia or the music industry or whatever that you know it's kind of like it's its own silo and um and more, more recently, I'm more and more in, into 
thinking about like how how exactly to do that you know like sort of what how to like really give that an articulated structure where it's like an organism uh you know as as opposed to again just like creative production along different lines that's that's more unorganized mm -hmm. um and 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 I'm, I'm kind of always refining that theory as i'm you know actively you know putting out albums and touring and kind of getting experiences and meeting people and being influenced by by others so but yeah yeah it's kind of like a, a seesaw between theory and praxis hmm. and and when exactly or where did you kind of get this theoretical or theological infrastructure that you're still working on now was that something that you know was was earlier in your life and then music came later or was it always something that was you know two two things that were kind of always going to be together for you um, I mean, I was always obsessed with both philosophy and music, like since being like a little kid, like a teenager, you know, like I was really obsessed with like experimental music and like post-rock and hardcore and classical music and metal. And then also like, like, you know, Deleuze and Guattari and, and Marx and Nietzsche. And I had a lot of religious longing uh, and um the so like yeah and so i was working on philosophy and music simultaneously like you know way, way back when i started doing this back in like the, the late aughts or whatever mm -hmm. and um and like big influences or you know that like like richard wagner william blake um but also, you know, like Genesis Peorage and Thorpe and Gristle and Texas right. and um, uh, just very, I don't know, just very kind of passionate about the idea of doing religious total art that is also kind of critical and like kind of underground and avant-garde. Um, and I mean, I, I think I think I was like better at music first or whatever like like that mm -hmm. was maybe more of a focus but like uh the the actual sort of structure like at, at this stage like not everyone necessarily knows this that like like, like at this stage it's like there you know, i have like a system of philosophy that has uh it has this like a sick like cycle it's like the cyclical quality so there's like 36 right. concepts that are matched to the um, 36 decans of zodiac, and so like like right now we're in the, the you know we're in the first sign, we're in Capricorn, and so like I'm focused on the artwork, uh, which is like the kind of top level concept, and like as the year goes on, I sort of return to a new concept with every new sign, and uh, kind of like revise it, you know, and um, uh, like that structure began to crystallize maybe like five or six years ago. Like I, like mm. I started a website in like 2016. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of, just, yeah, it's, it, it, they've kind of both been evolving together. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, I'm wondering in, if this is like uncomfortable, you don't have to answer it, but did you grow up in any organized religion uh, when you were growing up? 
kind of i i had access to church in, in a couple of contexts um like my my immediate family didn't really go to church when i was little but like mm. i had my babysitter that i would go to church with actually and then like i went to like a religious summer camp and wow. um, uh like for like for a couple of years and um but, but then my family got a little more religious and i did get, so like anyway i definitely had definitely had a lot of contact with protestantism and especially yeah. like, like southern baptist as well as kind of more like liberal uh interdenominational christianity yeah but yeah. but but like i i grew up mostly in new york so like my environment was predominantly secular, you know, right. like, like people who would like laugh if you said you believe in God and that kind of thing. So, so there was always kind of tension between those things. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I ask is it's always something we're interested in. I think all, both me and Cute at least grew up in uh, very religious environments where I think we both had to break away from it because it was so restrictive and draconian and then we've come back to it with sort of a new synthesis of ideas you could say or some sort of critique that also then just becomes a type of religiosity uh, growing up in uh las vegas yeah. right <laughs> and then coming into catholicism and like uh Gnosticism. yeah <coughs> oh cool so 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 you kind of grew up not having religion really in their life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for me, it's like, yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, yeah, like, I didn't have enough religion to, like, really be traumatized by it. Mm -hmm. That makes sense, but, like, but I had access to it, and so, um, yeah, I don't know. That I, seems I, like I, a healthy environment, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> it doesn't sound like ours was as healthy. I guess with yeah. that, um, that relationship that you had with religion, I guess, how has that shaped uh, now? Because uh, with a lot of your projects, uh, I think it's evident. Uh, I don't think there's there's not much, uh, you know, crypto digging that we have to do there in regards to your, your theistic views. But it's not so clear in terms of, like, where exactly you're coming from as a lineage is that if that it's even proper because there's certain aspects which are in tune with catholicism other aspects which are in tune with orthodoxy but then at the same time there's a very protestant um flavor to them so i, I guess i'm interested to unpack that a little bit uh where your lineage is in terms of your your um your theistic yeah view. Well, well like i would say I mean, I'm kind of doing my own thing, you know, like, like, like the idea of arc work, it's kind of a proposed, uh, you know, synthesis of religion with finer and underground art and philosophy and science or, or whatever. And so it's kind of closer to occultism in that way. Uh, but, but as, but I take Christianity very, very seriously. You know, I, I sort of think of it as maybe like, a denomination of Christianity that isn't Protestantism, like it's like meta-Protestant or something. Right. Because um, like, I mean, I I mean, I attend an Orthodox cathedral. 
and 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 I'm and I'm I think I'm converting to Orthodoxy. I'm I'm like a catechumen in in wow. the Orthodox Church of America, but like um, before then, I was attending in the in the Episcopalian Church, and um, uh, and like I've you know like I love the Virgin Mary, and mm -hmm. so I so I've been very attracted to that aspect of Catholicism. Uh, especially the rosary, like it's kind of disappointing to me that Orthodox Christians don't have the rosary. They don't like it really. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I would say like basically it's like a kind of integralist Christianity that maybe like takes what feels like the best aspects of all of like Orthodox, Catholic, and like like kind of Pentecostal and Episcopalian or something. Um, I, 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 I really believe like, but it's not a joke either. Like, like I really believe in the dogmas of the first seven ecumenical councils of the church. You know, it's a very like, um, uh, full fledged, you know, dogmatic theism, you know, like I, I like I, I believe Christ was raised from the dead and, and, and so forth. Like, I think that there are. Um, those articles of faith in like the deepest dogmas uh, that, that like most most denominations pretty much agree on anyway, you know. But like, um, but yeah, but but clearly Christianity is kind of missing something, you know. Like there there has to be this connection with like like the avant garde, especially or like underground mm -hmm. art, you know, Marxist critique, uh, fine art, philosophy. Like there's um, the, the outside, the world of heresy is like important to incorporate. Yeah, yeah, I that's think... really interesting. Um, I, it just makes me. I've always thought too. It's 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 really interesting that um, your sort of theological program uh, works so well with a sound such as death metal. Um, specifically, just because when I was growing up and li listening to metal or or death metal, it seemed to. Uh, you know, kind of be a safe haven or a kind of lighthouse often for like occultists, maybe even Satanists or people who tend to have rather, you know, Luciferian views of the world. Um, so I'm, I'm always, I'm, I'm very interested in how you see the sound as impacting sort of your, your ideas. Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I make a very special kind of metal, you know, like, mm -hmm. I, I guess, because I sort of see, like, I see metal as, um, I mean, first of all, I'm very interested in, like, synthesizing metal with classical music mm -hmm. um, at, at, at a very deep, at a very deep level. And, and so also synthesizing the kind of, like, uh, moral norms that go with those two uh, worlds, you know, like if, if like classical music is kind of music of the Enlightenment, and metal is kind of the music of the '60s or something. That like there's this sort of uh, unio oppositorum, uh, right? Between you know, like freedom from and freedom to, uh, or whatever. And um, but I guess from the perspective of if you're just starting with metal, is that yeah, I'm interested in kind of like deterritorializing kind of the essence of metal and sort of re-territorializing it to something else. And so, so so it's like it's like the next thing after metal is like kind of metal. And, that, and and that's why um 
and then there's like special tech musical techniques for that that are sort of based in uh like materialist philosophy theory yeah i was going to i guess just uh any any uh podcast that is talking about music we'd we'd have to kind of dive into a little bit of that music theory so um can you tell us a little bit about the burst beat um and what that how that ties into uh like you mentioned the materialist philosophy because i'm kind of i'm kind of interested to kind of maybe riff a little bit on that yeah sure um so uh i guess like for since not everyone knows like black metal has a characteristic beat called the blast beat and the blast beat is a very very fast rock beat like it, like rock is like a kick drum and a snare drum in alternation um the blast beat kind of makes that so fast that it kind of touch crosses this limit where it's no longer really a beat it's more of a hum uh so it's like a transubstantiation and i sort of see that as like the uh like the limit of rock music you know where where like if it's like 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 a singularity that it's crossing you know so so like if, if rock is getting faster and faster uh with extreme metal that um it can't go any further the 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 intensive quantity can't increase anymore without it blossoming into a new state of matter basically and um and so the birth beat has multi it's it, it's like the way that like mat you know so matter has like solid liquid gas and plasma as its four states and um and uh you know like the losing guitar love this that, that that like basically if you can you know you, you're confusing the you don't want to confuse the process for the product and you're doing that if you imagine that like the state of matter that you're in is an absolute then then you are sort of locked into a kind of like slavery and um but like so passing from one state to another has this like vital ethics um and so and so the birth beat um is these basically it's like four different speeds of blast beat that they kind of correspond to states of matter. And uh, and then there's this kind of a dynamic traversal um, between those four beats. And it's not really just like changing beats because they're it kind of, to me, it sort of feels like the sound of crossing singularities. Um, mm. And so I'm, so I'm interested in, in, in just kind of the, the vitalism of that, but then also the idea of like, um, like more of an accelerationist thing where like uh there's also you know you know history um like the modes of production that have been sort of encasing humanity uh as it's been becoming more differentiated and productive and complex uh are states like that and so that the the uh the intensity of the the music is kind of also meant to uh push through into a new eon for, for mm. world history as well very interesting um i guess just to touch on that a little bit because you know you mentioned the losing guitar um 
do you see do you see a transcendental black metal as a as a lobster you know that double articulation in a sense um that they talk about in a thousand plateaus where um you mentioned you know this constant deterritorialization and reterritorialization to kind of um shift or move um uh to bring about uh difference or novelties for example um I guess uh, with that, do you uh, do you see as uh, the you mentioned the four patterns uh, of the the blast beat? Do you see them as being uh, vitalist in the sense that they escape representation, or ultimately do they still fall back on a a certain type of representation? Uh, do they get recaptured in some sense? Uh, yeah, I guess I would think each of them is is a mode of representation, and what and but then but then what, you know, because because you you can take a line of flight out, but yeah yeah you need you need to retortorialize too, and like, uh, um, but but you but you you can sort of uh there's there's a theophany in showing that it's possible to to uh, pass from one from one mode to another, and so it's, so it's it's. That's part of the theophany that I'm interested in, but hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it's a very Deleuzian project. I mean, like, I don't, I feel like it's kind of cringe to like even like talk about Deleuze or something. Like, I'm not really interested. <laughs> like, like, I, like, like, I used to be like so into Deleuze, you know, like, mm -hmm. um, and so that the the you know the project of schizoanalysis generally, you know, is kind of like the core of like who I am and sort of you know, what I do. But I, I don't really like i don't particularly like talk in those terms because like right you don't like what are you gonna do talk about Deleuze? <laughs> you know like right. <laughs> um because because once you start talking about Deleuze, people don't know what you're talking about anymore right, right. <laughs> i mean you seem to draw a lot of like inspiration from more like german idealism than you do in um in your own like world of uh, transcendental black metal, right? Like transcendental being a uniquely like Kantian sort of notion, uh, platonic notion as well in your recent album of like drawing from the numbers threes, like Pythagorea and stuff. And so I think that's very interesting that um, it seems to be a whole diverse range of like philosophy that encompasses your work. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, well, I mean, you know, I mean, Deleuze and and Schelling have like quite a lot in common, and uh, and I, yeah, I do like foregrounding. Like, I'm also very interested in, I guess, in endorsing traditionalism. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in 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 like a non-reactionary way. Like, 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 right. it's really healthy. Like, I think people should like read great philosophy and like listen to like great works of art from the classical period and, and that kind of thing but like that's actually like um uh a, a true like um antidote to the the like addiction oriented attention economy that that we're all all in and so um so yeah yeah i i kind of like when i'm sort of like repping philosophers or whatever like i i prefer to talk about stuff that's more trad uh partly for that reason um but yeah i love yeah i mean Kant, 
Kant and Schelling, especially, and I guess of course Hegel. Um, but but I but I do kind of see all of them as heretics in a way, yeah. uh, because I I think that I think that they're sort of Gnostics, uh, and that Christianity is better than Gnosticism. Yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> um, I guess I mean something that I've noticed too with the way that you like the language that you use in terms of your um, your philosophy, like your theory, um, is the use of like even old, like in quotes, old terms. Because I mean, with like analytic philosophy, for example, the language that, that is used, you know, um, you know, like predicate logic, uh, it doesn't map on very well to um, like traditional or even scholastic philosophy. Um, it's a very distinct language and I think it's important to try to bridge that. And I, th I think to some degree that's happening and, and you do do some of that, but I think at the same time, recognizing that there is a distinction that perhaps the way that we talk or the language that we use when we talk about notions like God, um, they're not, it's not so easy to map that on into contemporary language. Hmm. Yeah, I guess that's kind of true. I mean, I'm, I'm like, say more about what you mean. Um, I guess like when like scholastic philosophy, like <clears throat> we we have like Aquinas, for example, um, the language that it uses, like you know, that you have like modern contemporary like uh, Thomas, you know, like uh, Fazer, etc. Um, but the way that they, the language that they use, like the predicate logic that they use, um, they have to flush out. Thomas in a way that makes sense to an, to analytic philosophy. They have to speak that epistemic community's language. Mm. And I think sometimes some of that gets lost in translation, which is why you can have someone like, uh, like Bertrand L Russell, for example, who's, you know, an analytic genius, um, but kind of doesn't, that kind of has like a really in quotes, normie take on God because, you know, mm. they're not even talking, he's not even talking about the same, classical theist uh, god that aquinas is talking about for example yeah um yeah i mean symbol i mean i i mean i studied a pretty good amount of symbolic logic in school and like it's it's like it's fun i mean it's great um but yeah i don't i mean yeah it's a very limited uh it's a very limited sphere uh and you know so much this is kind of the thing is that like, I think it's very hard to talk about how like there are certain things that are beyond words um, or you know, that, that are spiritual or religious that are like real and important without then like it's sounding like you're rejecting modernity or something or, or that like you're rejecting sophistication you know what I mean? It's, it's like, too it's too woo yeah. for people. Really annoying. Yeah, that it's woo or or that like just from that perspective, you must not like science or something. Mm, right. um, but it's like uh you like, know you be you believe in God, you must be like one of them Southern Baptist MAGA right. type. Yeah. yeah. Like like it's not anti intellectual to believe in God. Absolutely. Right. I mean, I, I assume you think that, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I definitely agree, and I think that's a, I think that's a very, 
one, obviously it's detrimental um, because then it doesn't take the entire corpus, the entire history of uh, like Christianity, for example, seriously. Um, Christianity nowadays seems, like you mentioned, to everyone seems kind of like antiquated, dumb, not with the times, not modern, not rigorous, uh, not mm. avant-garde, um, not universalist, you know, the list goes on. Um, but in reality, like when you really think about you know, when you take something seriously, like there's a lot of, there's a, there's a rich history to it. There's a rich, um, there's a richness to it. That's uh, that, you know, when you unearth it, it's, you know, you get something like an entire aesthetic ethic, um, a lived experience, you know, that I think that's something that maybe is lost today with, you mentioned the attention economy, um, which is like the, 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 the desecration of ritual, for example, um, yeah, and, and people look for it. People look for it in terms of like, oh, I'm spiritual but not religious, mm -hmm. um, and I think people yearn for it. Yeah, yeah, and and also asceticism. You know, like, like not like not doing things that you feel like doing. Right. <laughs> like 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 so so that you can like the very idea that like asceticism, like the idea of asceticism in Christianity is that like your desires become stronger you know if, if, if you like renounce certain things mm -hmm. that, that like you, you you end up with like more energy you know or like more able to, to like vibrate you know but to, to, to be a better servant to god but like you know that right that doesn't need to mean like i don't know like eating gruel all the time in the monastery or something like that mm -hmm. that, that can be like living your best life living your dreams, you know, like, uh, like, like inspiring other people, like being kind. Um, like, I think there's very little room for uh, asceticism in our world. And like, and yeah, I mean, you know, actual faith in God as a kind of like moral compass and, you know, the, the beauty of the infinite and like, you know, the greatness of like high art and science and like, like these kinds of things, like, you know, you start talking about that and then people like if they're more left-wing, then they'll be like, "Oh, that's like you're being like patriarchal or like it's totalitarian mm -hmm. or something." But right. Like, you know, that's um, like no, that that stuff is really emancipating. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I uh, and but then it's like so much of I feel like the idea of God and tradition, like it's becoming more and more popular but then like all this like other stupid like bad forms of traditionalism get imported in with it you know that that, that, are, that are just like another form of like bad faith uh wanting to like criticize you know like uh you know new modes of living or whatever i, I don't know yeah it seems like a lot of traditionalism as we know it is <clears throat> A traditionalism of like fear and trying to cut humanity down like back to some prior level of morality you know and which is obviously an impossibility but it kind of puts this like stink on traditionalism as simply the mode of the reactionaries when in reality like a new mode of traditionalism that is more emancipatory and leads to you know the spiritual progression of humanity seems to me like the only true purpose of traditionalism or what it was always supposed to be this you know 
long handing down of knowledge until some future infinity, you know? Yeah, it's always like ad hoc, like, it's always like ad hoc idealism in a way, because it's like fetishizing like a simulacra of something, which is like a, like it's a pastiche assemblage of like all of these accounts or records that we have. It's reconstructed as history. And then it's like, oh, well, that's trad. We got to return to it. And then, like you guys mentioned, it's, you know, it's always like reactionary types that that do this. And it's like, we got to return to tradition. And what they're retur- wanting to return to is an idealized state that never existed, um, which then, you know, castrates the possibility for like true emancipatory politics, true uh, emancipatory, like uh, modes of living, like true ethics. Um, and I feel like that's, you know, that especially happens with like a lot of like Zoomers nowadays uh, where, you know, it's like, oh, we, we, you know, modernity has cut us from our lineage or something. And, you know, they, they're like, we have to return to something instead of putting an emphasis on like Christianity in the sense that it's, it's women being in the kitchen. Or yeah, exactly. Um, like neoclassical buildings. Why can't we? It's like uh, illiterate men built this. What's stopping you? And it's like, (laughs) God damn it. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, what what you're like, what you guys are saying is so. I agree with it completely. And like, it feels kind of so obvious, but like, it's very like, it's very rare to find people who have this view. Actually, you know, like yeah, like, like when I talk to people online or just in general, it's like they really just like are in like one of these like bad faith camps or like the other. And and it's, yeah. it's weird how rare it is to sort of believe in like emancipatory traditionalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess I have a question and you can completely ignore it if you don't feel like answering it. Because for example, um, in metal you know there's communities and those communities tend to be isolated um in regards to uh like you know lgbt trans community um and there's definitely like still a lot of bigotry in that um how do you feel about the bigotry that's still found in christianity in religion well i thought you were going to say in metal Um, (laughs) i I was gonna ask like a question um, saw in an old interview um that you're deeply inspired by the blaze birth hall like all russian black metal specifically and uh reconciling sort of like extreme political opinions held by a lot of like black metal like artists and groups with you know um your own views perhaps on wait uh wait what did you say inspired by what the uh, police birth hall russian black uh, um you don't have to answer this either. No, no i mean i think i mean the poly yeah the politics of black metal is a really interesting topic actually because like it is sort of so um like especially these days, since like fascism is on the rise, and it's like mm-hmm. it's kind of like the fascist music form, you know. <laughs> um, but like it was obviously filtered into my world, you know, through uh, this kind of 
postmodern, like filtered through indie rock version or whatever. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, those. Hold on, let's see. So, like, uh, I guess with the question, with the, the thing about conservative views within Christianity. Um, yeah, so like, like, like I attend an Orthodox church and like the, like the parish I happen to go to is like basically progressive. Like there's actually a lot of, like it's in New York city. And so like, there's um, a lot of like queer people who go, or like a decent amount of queer people who go there. And um, uh, it's been kind of cool to find that, but I mean, I, you know, it does feel unfortunate to me that there is so much, um, so much of the kind of like needless, kind of hateful traditionalism in, in, in the, the really, like, and I mean, I mean, Catholics are the worst too. Like, like, mm -hmm. like Catholics are worse than Orthodox. Like, or, Orthodox people sure. don't, they don't really care, you know. Like, they have traditionalist views, but like, if anything, they're more likely to be nationalist. You know, it's like they're like. Like, 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 proud of being like Romanian or Georgian or something, and like that. But that's what it's about. Um, whereas, like, like Catholics, like, they will like hate, would want to kill you, or, or that, that's the strong way of putting it. But that's too strong. Yeah. Um, There's like a deep hypocrisy to Catholicism, or I should say, Catholics, especially in America, where there's that bigotry and that hatred that comes from a place of you know, being high and mighty and being like, well, I know the right moral path and then not following that moral path whatsoever, you know, buying into like prosperity gospel and like really turning it into a, like, like a sick form of Calvinism rather than a religion. <laughs> a sick form of Calvinism. I like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's something especially harsh about Catholicism for sure. Um, but um, yeah. And, but then like with extreme metal, I mean, I'm really interested in like um, generally in my practice, um, you know, throwing opposites at one another really hard, and 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 having that be a kind of experiment, and so I think that that's part of why I'm interested because like, you know, extreme, like, <laughs> you know, Christians don't like black metal, you know, and like, uh, you know, the politics of black metal is anti-Christian, but like. Like, what if you do both at the same time, you know, like, right. it's like, that's kind of just like, um, that just sort of explodes the whole kind of axis of coordinates that that battle sort of would be on. Uh, and, uh, that, or like that it's even legible within, you know, and, 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 and I really like trying to, uh, like overload things, I guess, yeah. uh, in, in that way. And so, so, so that that's part of why I feel like it works for me to sort of do Christian extreme metal. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's. I mean, it's it's incredible in many ways. You know, the complexity and ambition of your project. And one of the big things I wanted to ask you is, I find it somewhat hilarious. I mean, obviously, you've had a lot of success, and you know, music journalism has kind of also taken a liking to your project and likes to write about your project. And it just seems like when a music journalist is trying to kind of, I don't know, reduce you to something, 
there's always this like hilarity in it where it's like they have to purposefully create a, a version of you that doesn't even exist, right? Like they're like, well, I don't like, you know, traditionalism, but I'm going to focus on, you know, this part, you know, and that's who liturgy is. Have you found it like interesting to find that kind of like more mainstream success with people who like just like have either no interest or don't even really understand the larger project? Yeah, it's been interesting. Um, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. Um, I mean, yeah, it's it's been a bumpy road with music journalists. It's been a really bumpy road. Um, like, I think, because there was, and then, because it has been around for a long time, too. Like, right. like, there was a whole other era that the span existed in, you know, and like, mm -hmm. you know, it, it was like, originally, it was this, like, you know, coming out of like a Brooklyn an art rock scene and it was uh there's just like original kind of like big splash that sort of saw us as like sort of an art punk band that that was like using black metal uh and then when that, that kind of flipped like like at first there wasn't really controversy but then when it got bigger uh and like the metal world found out about it a lot of even the like mainstream music journalists that like first supported the band then kind of flipped on us and then like mm -hmm. like it was it was like once people learned about the philosophical stuff it like it like it like freaked them out like it really freaked them out. <laughs> like and and i think that that's something i mean i like i know a lot of nice music journalists and i appreciate what they do but like mm -hmm. i definitely don't love the institution of music journalism generally and like yeah. because a lot of times it's like there's there are people who don't if you like have a theoretical worldview and they don't understand what it is it just gives them this like shame disgust reaction or something like that you know and, yeah. and, like, and like even in the present time like okay so like then like twitter kind of started being a thing like like it it, it became more possible to kind of like just like the kind of world like you guys are kind of in like it, it, it kind of became more possible to like do philosophy online and have that be adjacent to other weirder stuff and that made my life easier mm -hmm. uh but it was pretty underground um and more recently journalists have kind of come around more Still without, yeah, still without really fully, like I've never seen a music journalist like say what it is that I do. Right. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> That's what's always funny. <laughs> and it's kind of funny. I mean, and, and I mean, I see it, you know, I see that side, again, it's just one silo that the project is in. So like, mm -hmm. like I'm, I, I'm happy to not be fully encapsulated by any like particular audience and especially any particular institution. That's sort of something that, that, that I go for. Um, but it's still kind of weird. I mean, like, like I mean, this is kind of like petty for me to complain about. But like, the, uh, you know, we came out with an album last year that was like highly regarded, and like, but in like the metal, like we weren't on any year end lists for like metal publications mm -hmm. or for, or for like avant garde publications, like like so, like stuff like The Wire. Um, like those, like, like it's still kind of a 
offensive to the the like gatekeeper class of like of like niches or whatever. Um, I mean, all, all that is kind of dissolving anyway. But like, um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 fun, I guess. <laughs> it's like the most transgressive thing you could you can do is not feel not fit their mold and you know right. be religious or something. <laughs> You know, yeah. I was, like, was going to say it's like it's like really courageous in a certain way and inspiring to somebody, you know, like like us who I mean, that's kind of probably my biggest fear is like crossing over a threshold where no one wants to understand me anymore or where I don't feel like I have control over my ideas. So it's really interesting to hear you speak about it. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I said it was fun, but I mean, it's kind of not fun too. Like, like it is, it is, uh, it, it can be painful to sort of be not, not seen or whatever, I wanted to maybe harker back and touch on Stacy's question. Um, uh, Stacy, if you want to bring up. Oh, your about the Russian black metal and sort of like reconciling, uh, the controversies that have often surrounded black metal and how to reconcile like these pagan aspects of black metal with uh, your ostensibly Christian uh, approach to it. Um. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, to some degree, I think the answer is that like op like uh, the collision between opposites thing of uh, and and that having like a a kind of like chaotic ethic to it or something, but um. I mean, I originally, I think, was attracted to black metal. This kind of dovetails in nicely with the journalism conversation, actually. Like, I was originally attracted to it as, like, because um, I didn't, uh, like, it was kind of clear, right? So, like, there was, like, the 60s, right? And then, like, it was kind of clear by the 90s that the dream of the 60s was being fully commodified and that like like to be a lover of nirvana was not the same as to be a lover of like Jimi hendrix or something that, that, right. that, that there was no there was no outside there was no like uh you know lsd revolution that was going to happen and change the world right. um that like that the ideals of counterculture had been sort of fully absorbed into this kind of like ideology machine or something yeah. and so black metal, I think a lot of people who were outside of black metal and first encountered black metal saw its like kind of reactionary posturing as something kind of like, like I don't know, like Nazis and industrial music or something where it's like you're just sort of using using the symbol, like not because you're like a Nazi, <laughs> but because like uh, you're you're trying to, it's like a Marilyn Manson thing or something, I guess, I guess right. it's too but like that like you're trying to breach some kind of like um overcoated false emancipatory thing that that like music industry has kind of um created and and and, and that, that like black metal was like more that, that it was in this like contradictory way by being so reactionary it was actually emancipatory in some deeper sense it was like not not articulate or, or at least that potential was in there 
uh, as something that could be like diverted uh, away from the, the more reactionary stuff. And, um, and so, yeah, so on the one hand, that's my, my task has kind of been to, you know, have the transcendental black metal is meant to not be black metal in, in that it's you know, about love and about Christianity and also about mutation and, you know, becoming and sort of all the things that are opposite to, to that sort of view of like, we want every, every race in the right continent and, you know, whatever. Um, uh, but like, there's all, I mean, I do really, there's more to it than that. Cause I, I do, I do like the perspective of kind of seeing, like, I kind of imagine like being Norwegian and sort of like seeing kind of hegemonic American culture from afar and, you know, and just being like, fuck this, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and kind of, kind of like having, having like a perspective that's broader than, than ideology uh, that, 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 that really, that really looks back. It really takes like actual, ancient history seriously mm -hmm. um you know as as like having forces in it that like maybe we've forgotten in some way like i i think there's something there's something there make way here comes ditto dan Maybe lady made a date with the mirror man And I'll bet he's having what she's having I wonder if she knows he was raised and praised as an only child he Used to stay up late and seldom slept a wink at night so he never got the knack for dreaming Used to watch flicks till the crack of hell Morning, how do you do, Ditto Dan? Stop copying me, I can see you emulating my stance and I'll bet you've got a cigarette I could be bumming Man, what are the chances I smoke them up? Okay, toodaloo to you too, I'll see you soon, ditto Dan. You swept the room like a broom and stole a style or two or ten. But hey, let's say, okay, nobody's an island. Man, even the songs I sing spring from plagiarized. Plagiarizing from my plagiarizing. Man, I've been plagiarizing all day long. Plagiarizing. That's interesting. Um, I guess that's that ties into notions of like, um, your work in terms of the, you know, the antinomies, um, which is 
I, I, maybe maybe you should explain, but I feel like it's a non-dialectical, but at the same time dialectical way to um, maybe not resolve, but because I feel like there's no resolution to antinomies. Um, in a way, they the antinomy is almost a way in which you can access a new line of flight, but it itself is not a resolution. It, it, there's no dialectical, um, there's no synthesis, so to speak. It, it's only it's only novelty or the advent of novelty that is instantiated with an antinomy. Yeah, yeah, I uh, yeah, I love, I love. I mean, so like, I mean, I don't know for anyone listening who doesn't know what an antinomy is. Like, Kant was sort of the one to first sort of really use that term, uh, and and that there are these antinomies about god and the soul in the world that was like oh you can you can use reason to prove these opposite things um and so you shouldn't you shouldn't try to do philosophy about these topics you should just sort of let the rest and then uh and hegel kind of famously turns those antinomies into this like engine of history or there's this productive contradiction between these opposite views that are like imminent to a particular culture cultural horizon and that like you can't you know it's like the kind of thing like you can't solve the problem at the level of the problem or whatever and um and so i think generally like uh that's like i love that state of mind it feels very christian actually you know it, it, it feels very uh like that that's the meaning of the term faith where like you don't you don't really know, you don't have a clear sense of where your activity is headed uh, because you know that like, if your mind is too involved, then you're not going to, like something genuinely new isn't gonna blossom. Uh, right. And so you just sort of, you, la you latch holes of these contradictions and you just sort of push them to their extreme and then, um, uh like some kind of psychic shift is possible or a cultural shift that you can't plan in advance and uh so yeah i i i, I like antinomial thinking and antinomial praxis and uh, and then yeah you, you might be talking about like i in in my system of philosophy the the final decan is called the ten antinomies of popular humanism um which is which are sort of like 10, 10 principles sort of about God and the world and history and culture and politics that like I that, that seem like they are antinomies to me and so I just kind of lay them out as kind of like the, um, the sort of final word of the philosophy system are these kind of 10 um, uh, yeah 10, 10, 10 loose threads that uh, that maybe someday they'll be tied together, you know, by by beings smarter than us. Or right. I think what's interesting with you mentioned this with a, you know, it's like an aspect. Antinomial thinking is an uh, is kind of uh, an aspect of Christianity, um, mm -hmm. and it's interesting because in Christianity you get like a we get an icon of it, right? It's it's the hypostasis. It's it's Christ, um, because by you know, in, in Christ, you you have the joining of two natures that are at odds with each other. You know, the absolutely divine and the 
the human, the finite. Um, and it's not reconciled. It's just, it's something new. It's the advent of something new. Um, so I guess I'm interested in, uh, in your system, you have the tenet antinomies. Uh, you kind of see them, or you mentioned they're kind of like these loose ends. Um, do you do you do you feel like your system is open ended or incomplete in the sense that it integrates incompleteness, or do you feel like it's incomplete, um, maybe not by necessity, but contingency or vice versa? Yeah, I mean, I, um, I mean, I like to like the the reason that I'm so interested in having it be on a temporal cycle uh, is that, that that means it can be like as complete, as, as thorough as it can be in any one given region at any one time. Mm -hmm. um, but like, um, I mean, this is kind of just maybe like, um, it might be a matter of personal disposition, but like I've, like when I've tried to write like you know how, like I, like I think of it as like the, the Hegel approach versus the Schelling approach, where like you know Hegel uh, spent his life, you know, like spent like you know, 20, 30 years or whatever, just like articulating a coherent, consistent system that like that changes a little bit, you know, like he sort of like the encyclopedia logic covers some stuff from the phenomenology of spirit that's kind of different, but like he pretty much just like sticks with it. And like, you sort of know he's lying because of that. Whereas Schelling is trying to be more honest, but uh, because of that, like he has to like make a new whole system of philosophy every time he writes a book. And um, that like, you can't, that's, um, yeah, that, that like any system of philosophy, I mean, you know, we we're, we exist in time. So like history keeps flowing and like, you know, my my intellect is very limited and like everyone's is. And so, so like, but um, if, if it's on a cycle, which is something that comes from religion, you know, like like religion, like, like, like the Christian calendar is, you know, it's a, a cycle that then you can renew each, sort of section of the system uh, every year. And so, so it just kind of keeps spiraling. Um, but like, but like ho hopefully, I've only been treating the system as a spiral like this for like two years. So, so, so far I haven't wanted to like change anything fundamental about the structure. Hopefully I can stick to that. Mm -hmm. but, but yeah, that's just the nature of thought. Right. Yeah, it kind of ties with like, um... Like Gödel's completeness theorem, you know, there's always going to be either like incompleteness or um, what are the other two? Um, Undecidability. Yeah, and then I, I I had the three of them in my head, but now I I can't even remember them. But yes, yeah, you know, it's like with any systematized uncomputable. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know what the the three. I think that's. I, I prefer the Donald Rumsfeld version. Did you ever hear his that's famous speech? Yeah, I know. There's like yeah, known knowns, unknown, <laughs> known unknowns and unknown unknowns. Gotcha. Um so what what do you I mean I'm kinda like what do you guys think about the relationship between religion and 
kind of post-continental theory. Um, I'll let you guys go first. <laughs> Continental theory? Uh, well, yeah, well, yeah. Well, I said I said post-continental theory. But, oh, okay, okay. Sorry, I didn't. I mean, I know that's. I, I, don't, I don't mean to <laughs> go in the spot or that's something. A good question, though. That's a good question. I mean, I haven't like really thought of it that much in terms of. Uh, my frame of reference, I think, for post-continental theory is so limited, but within, like, continental philosophy, just generally speaking, or, like, contemporary, what you would deem, like, uh, post-structuralist philosophy. I mean, even we were talking about earlier, like, Deleuze, who draws a lot from Leibniz and talks about this idea of, like, the one is a very also uniquely religious notion. So I don't think philosophy can ever be free of these uh, religious uh, theological ideas. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I tend to use hermeticism to sort of bridge this, this gap in between, you know, religion and philosophy in many ways. Um, a lot of the time, simply because the philosophers that I read already are using hermetic ideas because i do think that it it offers some sort of in-between space in between sort of the rigidity of philosophy and you know the the more you know unknowable things about revelation and i, I find hermeticism to just at least offer uh like a, a comparative analysis so to speak like even when you when you're speaking about the spiral my understanding of the spiral and its religious and philosophical import, you know, makes perfect sense to me because of a hermetic understanding of like Yeats and, you know, the concept of the spiral in a more metaphysical sense. That's also just because I, I don't have a good left brain, so to speak. And I'm not like cute who, you know, is really uh, good with like mathematics and logical modeling and all of that stuff. I, I'm, I've always been like a little bit more woo woo um nice. you know just to <laughs> put that out there but I, I think hermeticism for me is as i've you know kind of continued working with this stuff i see hermeticism as as a pot for me a possible way forward in integrating philosophy and religion very cool yeah no i agree with that a lot actually i i like i don't use that term much um for, for whatever reason I think, I think maybe I just don't like the sound of the word or something. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I, yeah, I think that what we're talking about here is kind of like the Hermetic tradition. Have you ever read that book, yeah. uh, The Hermetic Deleuze? Yeah, I did read that. That was that was interesting. I read that, and the, there was one on Hegel too. Hegel and the Hermetic. Right. Hegel and the Hermetic tradition, which I Hegel I understood through the Hermetic tradition a lot more than anyone else when I first read him. And that was like so confounding to me that basically to me, Hegel is basically just, you know, a mystery school initiate, you know, who's really likes philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. Do you, yeah. Wait, last oh, thing about hermeticism. Do you know, do you know Tomberg? I don't, I don't think so. Oh, um, I mean, Tomberg is like, Tomberg. Um, there's this book called Meditations on the Tarot. Oh, I've uh, heard of that. The, the Her Hermetics podcast did a whole series on it. Actually, but that, that that book, uh, I, I don't look at it as much these days. That, that book is like my Bible. It's mm. like 
it doesn't sound like much because it sounds like it's some it's like just meditations on the 22 major arcana of the tarot like it's right. a book of tarot but that's not what it is at all it's it's um it's a system of hermetic christian kabbalah mm. um and uh it's like it but also just the prose in the book um it was written in like the late 60s i think like it, it's kind of like contemporary with anti-oedipus but it's by this like russian christian like, hermetic christian who like used to be like a theosophist um anyway that book is like the bible it's so good that's awesome i'm gonna write that down yeah it sounds like something we're all like interested in yeah yeah stacy what you about gonna... you did you did you answer the the question about religion and philosophy not yet um i think stacy was gonna say something but uh... oh yeah oh no 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 okay it was just about like move like t so... wanting to talk about like tarot and like oh. other see. like i guess what people now seem to consider new age um like astrology and tarot but is actually a very perlineal tradition um and that like being integrated into this whole sort of like system of conceiving of the unity between like religion and then also like sort of more pagan practices or whatever it may be yeah yeah i have yeah. like beef with that um like I'm one part I'm like sympathetic to it and this is my own baggage like I don't <laughs> I'm just riffing here but um like the experiences that I've had with like people who are like religious uh spiritual but not religious has really left a bad taste in my mouth in regards to um like occult spiritualism and you know uh like non-vanilla <laughs> forms of spirituality so um take that for what you will but I, I i mean i'm always interested in and and i mean i would have never gotten into like hermetic thought if it wasn't for uh for like young or you stacy like uh, like you guys kind of balance me out in that sense so um but i guess like tying that back to like the question about like my view or like how i see religion being integrated with philosophy is kind of i, I agree with stacy uh, you mentioned um that philosophy kind of can't can't escape that um specter of religion um but i also do have a more uh like Bedouin um view of philosophy and religion which is that philosophy shouldn't suture itself too much i wouldn't i wouldn't go as far as to completely cleave itself from religion but that it's it's a specific type of truth generating or maybe I should caveat that because I don't think philosophy in itself is something that generates truth. I think it's apophatic uh, in the sense that it um, it's really good at generating questions. And then in sense of generating those questions, it, it appeals to other fields to kind of answer them. So um, that's kind of my view of religion where it's like I have my philosophical views and my philosophical presuppositions and then i use that to inform my theological religious aspects but my dogma my religious dogma is uh, like separate from my my philosophy like it, it may be informed by it but it's ultimately like i still 
you know, like I'm a, I'm a universalist when it comes to <laughs> notions of hell or, or, or things like that. Um, but that's all informed by my philosophy, I guess. Yeah, no, I think that's a really important, um, like, stance or something, or like, uh, um, I, I thought about what you're talking about a lot. And I, I feel like I'm not fully resolved on it, but uh, it's definitely an important thing that like, you know, in a way philosophy is not a restricted domain because it's inherently the domain that is aimed at the universal. So like it's by definition, the one that's not restricted, but it also is restricted to the universal. And like uh, that, you know, there's like, the, like, like religion, yeah, I think that certain things from religion uh, can and should come from revelation and, and, and that like philosophy kind of needs to like kind of just not go there, you know, or like that, you know, like, like a doctrine of the Trinity, like can't, you can't just construct that from philosophy. You know, it comes, right. it comes from scripture, it comes from revelation. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not totally sure like how to negotiate the boundary between those. But, I mean, the, the way you put it, makes a lot of sense to me. I think part part of that is, and maybe this ties back to your system, um, because the way that I've been thinking about it too is with certain notions of ecum ecumenism, um, where it's like you have, you know, I feel like the, the Trinity, this is kind of like something that I've been offshooting, which is kind of like a speculative Trinitarianism, where it's like you have Orthodoxy, you have Catholicism, and then you have um, Protestantism, and they kind of are this like, vague trinity i don't want to say that it's a trinity but it's a vague trinity it's so fun to find trinities everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> right uh 333 three, three everywhere um yeah but in in terms but it of totally, but it totally makes sense too i mean there's yeah. there's like those those three denominations or those three movements of christianity do yeah i mean you even see with like the is obviously the holy spirit father <laughs> and Sorry, anyway, go ahead. No, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, you even see it with like the, um, what is it called? The Abrahamic faiths, you know, uh, um, Judaism, Christianity, uh, Islam. That's a, a variant of the Trinity. Um, so like, I guess this ties back with like your system, you know, you have Hawk, Light, and Ololan. Each of those terms coming from a Abrahamic um but also like avant-garde, um, you know, like Hawk, you did an entire opera on, and it's related but not exactly reducible to the concept of Hawk um, that you have in your system. You also have light, which is joy, I think, translates from Latin for joy. Um, and you have Ololan, which is a character in one of Blake's um, works. Uh, so I'm interested to hear about that. Uh, I'm just gonna like, finish my thought, which would be <laughs> that, um, how would I say? I wouldn't want to say that philosophy should be cut off from theology. Um, I, I am very much a <laughs> philosophical supremacist in that sense. Um, and I, I, I'm willing to die on the stake as a heretic, um, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but I would say that I, I agree with what you said, which is like, you know, philosophy is aimed at that, which is universal. That like, that's an aspect of why I like Christianity so much because it is a universal faith. Um, it, it tackles with the universe, it tackles the universal in a very clear and distinct way compared to some other religions. I'm not trying to diminish them. It's just that, you know, I happen to be born and raised in the, in the Western context. Um, so in, in that sense, um, you know, it's it's like, yeah, how do you, you can't reason your way to the Trinity, for example. Uh, it, it, in some sense, it is revealed theology, but then at the same time, um, there are aspects of philosophy which inform your dogma of theology that makes it coherent again. So, um, and you've mentioned this in regards to like, for example, Quentin Mayas who has like a notion of uh, the divine in existence, which is, you know, could God be, you know, um, existence isn't a necessary uh, attribute, for example, of, of God. Um, so God could not exist, but that would just be in line with God's ability to either make themselves exist or not exist. That's part of omnipotence. Um, so that's a way in which, uh, sorry, which, which philosophy informs religion and makes it coherent to problems like the problem of evil, for example. Um, so open-ended, I know I, I ranted a lot, but rambled. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I also like that point about um, tarot and astrology um, before to go on to say something about uh, Yeah, I think, so, first of all, on the topic of, like, occultism versus, like, vanilla organized religion, I think that the thing is that, is that occultism should just be a cult, sort of, you know, that, that like, that, like, it, uh, like, I don't know, that, like, you shouldn't, maybe you shouldn't be allowed to do occultism until you have, like, a certain degree of... Uh, I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> That always scares me when I see random people doing like any kind of magic with like just for fun and you're like, damn dude. But, you're um, fucking with it, stuff you know nothing about. But but I, I mean anyway, I mean I love astrology more more so than I would like to admit, you know. Um uh and tarot. Um and uh yeah, so and yeah, the maze, yeah, that, that, I guess that's kind of that the interaction that started all this was that I think I created something about Mesu and the idea that divine in existence, kind of reading, reading Mesu against what he explicitly says, that, that, that means that uh, God freely wills even his own existence. And, um, yeah, so in my system, I have a, an account of the Trinity, as you said, and um, it's, yeah, it's kind of like a theory fiction version of theology or something. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing about the Trinity, that this is an obvious thing to say, but, you know, I guess in this like post-Hegelian world we live in, that um, there is a history of the doctrine of the Trinity, you know, and, and so like, there's... There's so many different theologians who have you know, different schools. Uh, there's different versions of the Trinity. You know, like there's just kind of a Trinity in Islam. And, like, you know, it's like there's, um, 
So it's like this question, like, okay, if there's a historicity to the doctrine of the Trinity, like, is something emerging? Like, is, you know, is it being progressively refined and getting like more accurate, you know, like, like the way, the way science is, you know, and like that, that's kind of an interesting question because right. it's, um, because, uh, you know, one thing I think in, that most, almost every Christian theologian that considers themselves to be orthodox in, in the widest sense of that term, just like not heretics, uh, say that like, you know, the, the three persons of the Trinity have to be co-equal. There can't be one of them that's primary. But if that's the case, then like, that's not possible for a reason to understand, you know, like if, if you have any kind of Platonic or Sicilians or metaphysics, like it, it, it's, it's a contradiction for four or three persons to be. And, and, and so then that's where for like Aquinas or something like that, it's like, well, then that, like that, that's where faith comes in. Like that has to be something that is beyond philosophy. Um, and in my system, like I had this, yeah, I have I have a doctrine of I like I have my own little doctrine of the Trinity or whatever you know that where each each hypostasis has six attributes, um, and it's it's pretty similar to Schelling's theology, like to I like not to undercut it by just comparing it to something, but like like in terms of sort of uh, there being you know the kind of primordial Godhead is like uh this sort of pure life or something and then like then that's hawk and then like ololon sort of is a reflection back onto that that is trying to solve a problem and that is more more compassionate and like more about love and then light is sort of like self-consciousness basically sort of the ability to um be aware that there's like a difference between hawk and ololon and and that they it's possible to kind of deliberately put them in coordination or something and um but and, and like yeah i mean i like i could list them out I, like i have diagrams of it but there's there's like six attributes for each hypothesis um and i developed that during yeah i don't know dur during a very sort of time of passionate <laughs> theological speculation uh and it's not quite like any, you know, uh, it's, I, I guess to me that kind of feels, it's not that different from like the kind of thing that Blake would, would do or something, just sort of like choosing to generate a, the, a theological thing that, that kind of is a work of art, but is also like a sincere, like it feels revealed to me, you know. I mean, like, I like I'm the, like I'm the kind of person who just kind of feels like prophetic flows or something. And so, mm -hmm. like, uh, in a way, it's influenced by German idealist theology and Christian theology. Uh, but there's a dimension to it that I wouldn't call just poetic. Exactly, it just feels uh, like what is it like? It's not technically Christian theology because I'm not a theologian, but it like it's, it was sort of channeled like using principles that 
Christian theologians use to try to distinguish between real theology and mere poetry, you know? So, so it's mm -hmm. kind of like, I don't know. Um, it's a type yeah, of like, it's kind of like a type of theodicy in a way, like, um, how do I say it? Um, mm. Yeah, it's kind of like theodicy in a way, but um, because I get what you're saying. It's not like it's not like purely poetic, or it's not purely. It's kind of like the difference between like abstract Christianity and like true Christianity or lived Christianity, and I think this is kind of thrown at Hegel a lot of the time, where Hegel is still kind of an abstract Christian, and a lived Christianity is is kind of like incarnate. It's vitalist in nature. Um, and so when you embody uh, like a like a when it, when you one says like you know the logos becomes flesh, um, it's because you know the word becomes an ethics. It's a lived ethics. Um, and you know when we resemble or when we try to to approach Christ in that way, I mean you you, you embody that same ethics. It's a, kind of like a line of flight in, in a way. So it's it's vitalist yeah. in nature. Yeah, you know, I think also I, I would say that I have the belief that each of us deserves to develop our own conception of God. Um, and that like having a sense of non-knowing, like it, like my current conception of God may evolve into something else. And like, uh, and so, so not, not thinking that my conception of God needs to be anybody else's, but like trying to develop one that's like, Kind of crystallized and like has moving parts you know and then like create works of art about it which is what i tried to do as well that like that um you know first of all just like any any thinking about god is good um and that if you're doing it with with a certain humility uh like we do live in the age of the individual somehow you know and so like I don't think that any religious institution like really gets to say what God is. Um, I, I guess my view is that like there are certain dogmas that uh, you know I accept, but they're they're kind of vague enough that uh, there's a lot of room to develop creativity within that. Um, but yeah, I mean the I mean my last point on this is just that. And, oh, Tomberg talks about this all the time too. Uh, is that um, that maybe it, it it's actually unfortunate in our time, you know, that religion and art are separate in the way that they are, because you know, the, the ideal is to sort of subjugate the poetic impulse mm -hmm. to, to religion, right? Uh, in a way that then, you know, revivifies religion. So like the kind of old, old versions of it kind of fall away, um, and and then the, the the artistic capacity of man has has a like legitimate channel to like blossom in a healthy way, uh, rather than maybe being being abused or misused or turn, turned into ideology. Or, or hyper commodified and yeah prostituted or whatever <laughs> to use a blogger term prostituted <laughs> um i guess uh i wanted to touch back on a point which you mentioned how 
Hawk, Olalan, and Light, they kind of have this um, dynamic. Um, it reminded me, the way that you spoke about it, it reminded me of like artificial intelligence and, and like computational models in terms of how, you know, two computers uh, may be corresponding <coughs> with one another. And then the third one is kind of checks, checks and balances. And then that's how you have um, some neural networks working. Um, do you have any thoughts on, because this is like a super, I guess, like prevalent topic. Do you have any uh, insights or riffs on AI or anything like that? Artificial intelligence or AI? Um, I guess I'd say two things. I mean, one, like, um, I mean, I think a lot of those questions are antinomies. Uh, so it's like, I think it's, they're, they're like worth thinking about um, without me really having an answer. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much an accelerationist, you know, I mean, like, like, mm -hmm. like, I, I pretty much think that uh, it's very important that we develop technology really rapidly and that that's, mm -hmm. that that's like, um, like it might be awful, uh, but like, so, you know, things are probably going to get pretty bad anyway. Like, yeah, that, that, that like the great hope that we have is uh, technology as a path to egalitarianism and, and emancipation. Um, so, I mean, that, that, that's like the, the broad, you know, it's like a kind of like left accelerationist view, pretty much, or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, but I don't know. I, I mean, I kind of have a grain of salt with that at the same time because like I, I think that as um like the, the, i think that, that in christianity there's a sort of not knowing that is really key uh and um so like when i said that like there's an antinomy like like one of the antinomies is is god being born through history mm -hmm. Um, cause in, 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 in Christianity, it's, it's a really serious heresy. The idea that God needs history, that God needs humanity, that God has any kind of lack that, that, um, that, that human history is, uh, basically caused by something that God is missing, right? Like it's a heresy to think that God would be missing anything. So, 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 so the Christian, but like accelerationism that's what that's saying you know that they god is being born uh through through kind of history or whatever uh right. it's, it's the production and so so i guess as a christian i don't i did not believe that uh according to dogma um but it is an antinomy because i'm not really sure right yeah i was gonna say that um that connects with a question i kind of wanted to ask you um in terms of like eschatology um, yeah, because, you know, a lot of accelerationists, um, or even like Marxists, for example, Mar a lot of Marxists move on to like accelerationism because of an ateleology, which is like it, Marxism has an inherent telos, which is, you know, to bring about the, um, the revolution or, you know, to emancipate the workers. Um, that's, you know, that's their 
that's their eschatology. Um, accelerationism is kind of like an atheistic uh, teleology, an ateleology, as I like to put it, um, because it's it has a it has a telos, but it's not um, the, the telos is retroactive, and I and this is like traditional like Aristotelian teleology because. Um, you know, this is the difference between final causation um, and efficient um, causation, um, which is that, you know, telos can still work retroactively. The cost can still, or the effect can still precede the, am I saying that right? The effect can still precede the cause or whatever um, and make itself come about that way. And that seems to be like the general attitude for most accelerationists, which is, you know, the AI singularity, which builds itself uh, retroactively through time, you know, the, the Landian right. accelerationism. Um, do you see a lot of crossover with accelerationism in theology? I feel like that's something that's emerging right now a lot in, in, in on like Twitter and stuff. What, do you have any yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, I mean, accelerationism is a theology, you know, but like that, that's something yeah. like, like it was so weird that like, in the 90s and the aughts and the 2010s like people didn't i mean it's 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 a gnostic theology you know? and, and, and right. like and it's more explicitly so even like now people are like oh yeah it turns out hegel was a gnostic and like that's a little more cryptic but in Nick land it's, it's very yeah it's up front it's very upfront, but then it's like supposed to be a joke or something but it's not a joke you know it's, it's right a, it's a he's a he's a he's like a, like a satanist philosopher or whatever yeah really yeah <laughs> I, like I, even even the the uh pneumogram itself i've always found so interesting because it it's basically a kind of t the idea of decimals rather rather than the full number is very similar to like kenneth grant's post crowleyan typhonian magic where he kind of says there's this underbelly to the tree of life that only you know these kind of evil beings can transfer through and that it's a lot easier and it's faster mm. and it's almost like nick is is very much like one of the most theistic satanists that has has probably lived you know in many ways yeah i mean i think nick yeah i and it's weird because like he, he definitely i guess i don't know this for a fact but he definitely like does satanic rituals yeah he writes these texts you know and, right. and like and is like contacting satanic beings you know right. and like trying to like serve them you know it's like very like literally you know um <laughs> yeah he's not, he doesn't hide it at all <laughs> yeah, he doesn't even really hide it um so uh yeah is, is, is theology uh and um but it's, but yeah, but, but, but he does kind of hide it because it's like, I mean, he does have this, it's so funny, like, like it's almost, it's almost like you can only say with a certain irony, with kind of straightforward, like, like my view is basically like, oh, well, so like he's a heretic and so heretics are bad. And so you should be an Orthodox Christian because Orthodoxy is good. Yeah. And like, that's pretty much like, I think that there are good arguments that theologians like Balthazar, especially, have made, you know, against Gnostic heretics. And, um, uh, but, 
I don't know. I, I really sort of enjoy taking taking up that lane of sort of being like anti-heresy because it's everyone wants to be a heretic. You know, it's like it's like cooler, or like well, like La Roelle thing. It's like oh, it's just like heresy. Um, but uh, wait, hold on. There was another point you made a question you had about accelerationism and religion. Oh yeah, I don't know. I, I guess also it, it's just that like these. Oh, and 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 the relationship of Marxism and accelerationism. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that like Marxism. Like, I think that if you're a Marxist, but you also like have you know, develop kind of concrete knowledge about like how the world actually works, you know, like how like how like the supply chain works and stock market and industry and sort of um you know just like, like geopolitics that you, you kind of end up having to see that like the only thing that can really happen is capitalism fully exhausting yeah you know productive force to the level it can and then marxism or communism coming after that you know and and, and there may you know maybe it just happens seamlessly or maybe there's a kind of revolutionary movement of truth, but it, it really can't happen until, you know, I don't know, it, like people don't have to work anymore or something. You know? and, right. and, and that like communism would be a world where people are developing their talents all the time, you know, mm -hmm. that, like, that, like they're, they're not working in factories. They're like reading books and making scientific discoveries and like sharing, you know, and, and that, uh, and so, but yeah, I don't really, I mean, I think that there isn't any hope of like stopping what's happening. Right. Uh, you know, like, because, because, because the, the actors that are developing AI are like, you know, they're like. More containment structure. <laughs> AI is so important for like who wins the next big wars, you know, that like someone's going to develop it. So, yeah. so and, and like so maybe civilization will collapse or like you know but, but in, in the meantime like you can still kind of with the limited agency that any of us have you can sort of develop philosophical religious views that like could be useful you know for for the future shock or whatever or or for or for nudging it in the right direction or for having like a, a like like a healthy culture that is able to kind of make sense of the world that we live in um, mm -hmm. or something like that. Awesome. Um, yeah, how are you guys feeling? I don't want to I don't want to tax anyone too good. much. I feel I can <laughs> what, keep what, what, what do you can I, I, I turn the question around again? What, what do you guys think about like AI stuff? So? Oh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, I I think I think it's like the you know in, in many ways you know and this is a very visceral reaction to it in in one that is not grounded very much in reason but just through like intuition it seems like at best what we're building is like some sort of golem or some sort of you know uh like advanced being that could be helpful could be harmful but I think at worst what we're doing is probably creating 
like the demiurge itself, like creating something that needs to separate us from God in order to, you know, have for its own existence. It's basically going to, you know, be the matrix in a much more like, you know, not like you're in a pod, but like the machine is what keeps you in this existence and it feeds off of your production. It feeds off of your thoughts. And I think my view of artificial intelligence um, is at best like left accelerationists. Like, I think you're completely right. But I'm just so, you know, doomer blackpilled on it that I think it's it's more likely than not that this seems to be like something ushered in by like the generals of Satan, you know, himself. Yeah. I just think it's easier to serve and probably cooler to serve Satan because he probably has, you know, in, in like this in this like metaphysical sense, he probably runs where we're at more than God does, you know. In, in, in like I kind of think of Satan as the god of history, like as the one that kind of can enter into our like impure existence in order to change things. Whereas God, like it's not it's not that he can impact history, but that he can possibly communicate, right? Like a, a like a, a type of communication that can enter the historical realm, but that has to be rooted in some greater like universality. I don't know. I, I think it's probably in that bad. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. It's, it's thinking probably, I mean, that, that's the amazing thing too. Like thinking probabilistically about the future is mm -hmm. a way to get black. <laughs> it, it is. It really is. That's why I actually really liked these book series I read. You know, the guy who wrote the Mars trilogy, Kim, Kim Stanley Robinson. Mm -mm. He's just like a science fiction writer. And what he does now is he's, He's in this series called Science and Technology where it's like he's imagining a world in like 20. I read my favorite one of that series, like New York 2140. And it's basically like an unblackpilled like reading of, of the future where it's like, well, we could do this. Like it's almost optimistic. Like, well, what if everything goes to shit? But, you know, we do this, this and this and everything gets better. And that was like the first time where I'm like, oh, yeah, like if we can create the future, then we should probably do our best to imagine one where we survive and stop fantasizing about the one where we all die, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, there's certainly something to, uh, to, to that. <laughs> Stacy, did you have a... No, I, I, I share the same visceral kind of reaction as Young that uh, AI is sort of like demiurgical um, in a way. And I, at least in like the, in academia, there's always just like this budgeting field of like, oh, like let's talk about AI, let's talk about AI. And mm -hmm. it really like removes a lot of like what I see as really valuable in the humanities as like traditional discourse about like, oh, um, like again like theology or something and perhaps i'm just very trad but like uh, and I, I i the i'm tired of being surrounded with like discussions about oh, the ethics of ai yeah. when i think like this is ultimately yeah. unethical <laughs> yeah. um yeah but. yeah no yeah a ai ethics discourse is a joke <laughs> it is very funny though it's a good way to get a grant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's why I, I, I see it as like serving this like very 
surface level illusory evil of like, okay, uh, we can do this for like finance capital, like uh, yeah. AI serves like all these monetary like gains for like grant writing and like whatever. Yeah, whatever. It's kind of like that ideological package, right? Where yeah. Zizek yeah. talks about it, where he's like, oh, you can get your Starbucks cup and you can feel good if you know that it's like donating certain amount of money to charity. It's like, well, you can get your yeah. military grant as long as you guys make sure to be inclusive yeah. and make sure you talk about AI ethics. But you guys can make yeah. the killing machine. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's like, it's like we mentioned before where it's like it's a literal arms race. It's going to be built for war. So the idea that there's going to be some sort of like altruistic <laughs> built-in capacity to a literal death machine is, is kind of you know, yeah naive. yeah I mean, that's the thing that's unfortunately like this world you know there's there's a realm of the world that is not about ethics you know? and it's <laughs> very powerful <laughs> and um yeah yeah I, I i don't have like too strong of a like a, a view on like ai um i tend to be like you guys which is pretty like black pilled, but hopeful, <laughs> um, hopeful black pillism, mm -hmm. coining it now. Um, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not like, I guess the only thing with AI is just that I, I am not a strong, how would I put it? I'm not a strong believer in like strong emergent emergentism. Is that the, is that a word? Is that what I'm looking for? Um, if anything, AI is just like a super complex, like Rubik's cube type threat where yeah. um, I feel like X risk with AI is one of those things where it's like, um, we, we don't, we, we don't know how to contain something by which like, it's almost like catastrophe theory where it's like, there's a runaway process that you can't really contain. Um, but it's not because that thing in itself is aimed towards anything. It's just that there are so many X, factors that you can't account for probabilistically and yeah. you know you could end up in nick bostrom's paperclip model um <laughs> uh, where the paperclip <laughs> the paperclip uh, machine kills everyone but it's really optimized mm -hmm. to make paperclips yeah. um or you could end up in the in the marxist uh post-work utopia which is is the one i hope we land in but I'm very hopeful for that yeah for like the aristocratic communism of like uh who am I thinking of? Who had like an aristocratic socialism? Um, God, I can't believe I forgot. I'm forgetting his name. The the English writer from the 19th century. He's kind of a dandy. Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde. Yeah. Oscar Wilde had like an idea of socialism where he's like, it's just basically what we've been saying. You know, everybody allowed to do what their artistic and you know actual intrinsic productive forces want them to do rather than produce for some exterior economic model my, my hottest take on that is just that ai to me is like the same x risk level as like the atomic bomb and oh in so far as probably less yeah in so far as it's probably be needed for that anyway yeah in so far as it's still like catastrophic like we haven't died yet <laughs> so right um right same we almost did a few times <laughs> it's crazy like reading about those like near misses and stuff like that like there's been like half a dozen times where the nuclear holocaust just was gonna happen and was slowly averted by you know by god's grace by god's grace exactly <laughs>
It's like yeah. there's these people who believe in like God UFOs, like that that God is like entering history through UFOs, and there's like this big belief that like oh God's coming down and he's going to stop us from like using the technology, you know? God's going to make crop fields. Right. God's trying to communicate. You know, it's uh, the fourth, Which, yeah, the not the craziest thing. Is it fifth well, position? Or... Like it's true that like you never know what incredibly good thing might happen. You know, like right. like like AI could you know crack some like insane scientific discovery that oh yeah it's just like whoa okay like, i think it's yeah we, it's we've like fixed everything <laughs> you know like, yeah. like it, it, it could happen like i don't i don't know I, yeah. it, it, it seems like not it's not the likely outcome but it is it's just it's, so scary because it's such a black box it's like you really don't know any of the outcomes going into it i mean going into it what'll come out the other side we just can't even comprehend like it, that's why i like to think of it as a singularity right as this like event that completely changes like the structure of humanity itself where like it's going to be very hard to even like gesture towards what the world would be like once we've hit that point like it's it's almost like not worth uh speculating on it's like it's like a monkey speculating on how to build a rocket ship you know what, what kind of fascinates me is also like just savoring the the speed of it that like just just like how because you know it's like cell processes can happen about a thousand times faster than, than we go you know and mm -hmm. so like so like they're like things could just be happening a thousand times faster than we can perceive um it seems, it seems like a lot could a lot could happen pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, the, the time scales of it all, right? Um, like the AI, what 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 do AI time scales look like? And yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I really enjoy like keeping up on news about like semiconductor geo yeah. geopolitics uh, or, 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 or in and and like and like how how those fabs work. Uh, you know, like um like just just a way to create circuits that are that small using like just like beams of yeah. beams of like uh ultraviolet light and like little mirrors and whatever it's kind of like, like a joke a joke i made once uh it was like one of my it was yeah. my banger tweets where i was like we we need to stop cern they're they're encasing the platonic forms and, and you the said particle. torturing. You're like, yeah, they're torturing they're, the platonic forms. They're torturing the platonic forms and the and the CERN collider. We need to stop them. Which there's a grain there's a grain of truth to that. I, I feel. I don't understand. I don't think the house that thing just <laughs> seems evil. You know how it's like, you know, like you could just sense when something evil is around sometimes, or like something bad's gonna happen. Anytime I look at that thing, I'm like, holy shit! That's probably the gateway to hell. <laughs> so, yeah, she had a statue. <laughs> yeah, um, I loved that ritual, and then they were like, "Oh, it was a joke. It was just a joke." The scientists just like to do that. I'm like, "That's so fucking." <laughs> it's like maybe don't what do a that. Joke is that? Yeah, <laughs> who jokes about that? Um, thoughts on Terrence Howard? Oh, the the <laughs> actor. The actor. Dude, yeah, that guy's so funny. You ever see the video, like the original video, where he's just like. And then it's Pythagoras, like, time is a is a curve now. And he's, like, trying to explain this to, like, entertainment tonight. It just doesn't make any sense. He's, yeah, he's, like, the 
wave conjugations. Uh, I opened the flower of life. <laughs> yeah, I opened the flower of life, and the wave conjugations come out. Now he's he he like went to math school and then got thrown out because he's he's like, there's no way that one times one equals one. It has to equal two. And he has some like bird brain logic about how like it's gotta be because there's two things. You can't have you know one thing after two things. You yeah, know? he's like a cause so. times a cause is a reaction. <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, I love that I, guy though. Yeah. Maybe he's gonna crack that. That guy could crack AI. <laughs> he solved. He solved. Uh, he solved he's AI done. already. Doesn't want to tell us yet. Did you guys have um, any topics that I have may have missed? Anything that you? you... No, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Honestly, yeah, it's fun. The yeah. Trajectory of it was very interesting. Yeah. Any anything that you want to bring up, Hala, before? I don't think so. I think uh, we covered a lot of good stuff. Listen to liturgy. Everybody listen to liturgy. Yeah, listen to my band. <laughs> yeah, if Those you don't, numbers. if you don't, we'll find each individual one of you and make you listen. Get those streams up. So, any any upcoming things that maybe we should, as listeners, uh, should keep an eye out? Any Substack posts, maybe EPs, anything like that that we we can get a inside knowledge on. No, uh, we were very active last year. It's not really okay. I'm just enjoying it. I'm doing well. We'll, we'll be on tour. I'll awesome. probably be announced by the time. Awesome! I can't wait. Awesome! That's gonna be fun. I really enjoyed. Um, I, I saw you live at St. Vitus, like couple, like about the same this time last year or something, and it was great. Cool. Cool. Glad you're at that show. That was, that was a fun one. Yeah. Based and so there's more tours. <laughs> Yeah, that was gonna... yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, it was a real pleasure talking to you. Yeah. Um. Thanks so much for having me. It was very, very fun discussion. <laughs> uh, yeah. Stay, stay in touch. Yeah. Yeah. You too. Yeah, for sure. For anyone still listening, thank you for joining us. Um. <laughs> you can follow us at decode underscore underscore cast on Twitter, and we'll catch you in the next one. <laughs>